Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Saturday, October 29th, 2022, and it was on this day in 312, the year 312 AD, that the Emperor Constantine, after winning the Battle of Milvian Bridge, triumphantly entered Rome for the first time in his life after defeating Maxentius, putting him at the head of Rome. And this would be a major turning point for the history of the Church, as eventually, under Constantine, Christianity would no longer be illegal, and on his deathbed, Constantine himself would convert to Christianity. It was on this day in the year 1618, Sir Walter Raleigh was beheaded in Old Palace Yard in Westminster, England, he being a major figure in the efforts of settling and exploring the new land, the new world, and he was eventually executed on this day. It was on this day in 1682, William Penn landed on what is now Chester, Pennsylvania, and in 1877, Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest died in Memphis, Tennessee. Some of you may know him as the name for which the character Forrest Gump is named from the movie, but he is also notorious for being one of the founders of the Ku Klux Klan, which it is said he eventually left because it got too violent, even for him, one of the most violent generals in the Confederate Army. It was on this day in 1885 that Union General George B. McClellan died in Orange, New Jersey. He was kind of a do-nothing general. He trained the Union Army very, very efficiently, but when it came to using the army, Abraham Lincoln was very frustrated with him. He fired him twice, and General George McClellan eventually ran against Abraham Lincoln when Lincoln ran for re-election, but Lincoln did prevail and was re-elected. The first instance in a democratically based society in which a president was elected at a time of civil war. It was also on this day in 1901 that the assassin of William McKinley, Leon Skogos, was executed. And on this day in 1929, Black Tuesday, the values of stocks went into a tailspin, causing an estimated $9 billion in losses, wiping out investors and resulting in the Great Depression on this day in 1929. And on this day in 1940, the first American peacetime draft began when Secretary of War Henry L. Stimson drew the first number, and the number was 158. In 1956, Israel invaded Egypt's Sinai Peninsula during the Suez Canal Crisis. And in 1966, on this day, the National Organization of Women was founded and finally, on this day in 1998, astronaut and Senator John Glenn began his second flight into space on board the USS Discovery at the age of 77. So a lot happened on this particular day in history. But today, I want to talk about what we're going to be observing in a couple of days, and that is the celebration of Halloween, which is the night before the church's celebration of All Saints Day. And every year, as a priest, I get the same questions from people, which makes me wonder, have they never, ever celebrated Halloween before? And if they have, did they ever really 
concern themselves with the questions that they're asking me today. I'm perfectly happy to take the questions, but sometimes I wonder on matters such as this, if people are actually thinking clearly when after a lifetime of celebrating Halloween, suddenly this year they're coming to me or their priest and they're asking, am I worshiping Satan if I go to a Halloween party or if I observe Halloween? And these aren't young people. These are older people. You wonder, if did they spend their entire life not celebrating Halloween, and this is something new to them. But of course, every year we also see those various uh, factions and groups who insist that Halloween is a satanic night, it's a night of death, and it's a night of the occult, and it's a night that we should not allow our children to celebrate. We see videos on the internet, videos on YouTube, even podcasts like this, some on TikTok talking about how satanic Halloween is. And I really am impressed because these are people who call themselves Christian. Some of them are anti-Christian, and they love to to sock it to Christians with, with what they think they know. But many of these call themselves Christian, and they seem to know more about Satanism than they do about Christianity. And then if you give them an alternative history or an alternative origin to Halloween that is actually pro-Christian, then they accuse you of Catholic historical um, revisionism. And they just they just seem completely close to any kind of Christian spin on Halloween. Now, granted, there is probably some pagan origins to Halloween, but not in the way we think. It would be similar, perhaps, to Christmas, which every year we see it on the internet, and sometimes people come up to me in church and either ask me or accuse the church of basically celebrating a pagan feast, that Christmas is nothing more than a pagan feast celebrating the winter solstice, to which I get so tired of listening to it, I finally told someone, look, if you want to celebrate the winter solstice instead of Christmas, knock yourself out. I'll look forward to getting your uh, your winter solstice cards, and I hope you have fun opening your winter solstice presents. I, for one, will celebrate Christmas, and I'll send out Christmas cards and open Christmas presents and give Christmas presents. But if you want to celebrate the winter solstice, knock yourself out. It's just the lunacy of this whole thing. So and a lot of times when people say, Father, wasn't Christmas originally a pagan holiday? I say, yeah, it was. And they look at me shocked, and I said, and guess what? I'm still Catholic. I'm still a priest. I still celebrate Mass. I still celebrate Christmas because now it's a Christian feast. Yes, it was a pagan feast. It's called evangelization. You turn pagan feasts into Christian feasts. So when they want to celebrate, you still celebrate, but you're celebrating a Christian theme and a Christian event instead of the pagan event. That's one of the ways you eradicate paganism. That's one of the ways the church eradicated paganism in the Middle Ages was it would take certain feasts, in many cases, feasts of the solstice or feasts of the harvest, and attach Christian themes to them rather than just tell the people they were evangelizing to, who even though they may have professed themselves Christians, still valued these pagan feasts, they just simply replace it with Christianity. We see this in the Old Testament, folks. Look in the first book of Kings, in chapters 17 and 18, you see the story of Elijah 
that ends with the showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Elijah declares a drought, or God through Elijah declares a drought. And then after the great showdown with the prophets of Baal, the people declare the God of Israel to be the true God, and the drought comes to an end. Now, why would that be important? Well, in the ancient Canaanite culture, Baal was the God of the rain. Baal would ride in on the clouds. He was the God of the storm. He would fight the God of chaos, that's the ocean, and then be swallowed up by the God of the desert after he rained on the the people, bringing them a good harvest and fertility and no dangers of a drought any given year. They pray to Baal that he would come riding in on the clouds. Well, that was the pagan god of the rain and the storm. When the Hebrew people took over Jericho and the promised land and, uh, of, uh, and set up the nation of Israel with the 12 tribes having allotted their portion of the land, the practice of worshiping Baal, either as a god outright or just as a point of superstition, began to flourish. What harm would it be to continue worshiping the god of rain or at least giving a nod to the god of rain, having maybe a medal or a statue or a pole to the god of rain as kind of a good luck charm. And Elijah opposed that. And we see examples in the Bible in which God is depicted as being manifested in a storm. So what we see in the Bible are reflections of how when the Hebrew people took over the promised land, the God of Israel became the God of the rain. The God of Israel was understood as the one who brought prosperity and fertility in a desert region. And the God of Israel, through Elijah, declared a drought, so that when the people prayed to Baal, no rain came. And when the prophets of Baal prayed to Baal to take up their sacrifice, nothing happened. Elijah prayed for it, and the sacrifice was taken up. And the people declared the God of Israel to be the one true God, and lo and behold, right after that, guess what happened? The drought ended, and a torrential rain came onto the land. Because now it is not Baal, but it's God who brings the storm. They still relied on the rain. They still relied on that weather to bring fertility to a desert region. But the God of Israel replaced the God of Baal. The true God of Israel replaced the pagan God Baal in the people's understanding that the storm which brings fertility and life comes from God and is a blessing from God. Similar things were done in the early church. Evangelization of the barbarian tribes in the early Dark Ages led to the evangelization of peoples who had pagan superstitions, many pagan practices. They would have medals with the images of the gods stamped on them, and they would be replaced by medals with images of Jesus and Mary, the saints, the apostles, mainly Jesus and Mary. Holy medals. There was the practice of understanding that the God was within a particular object, and so the church began to bless objects to emphasize a holiness that comes from God and a reminder to people that it's God who gives blessing. And naturally, on certain pagan festivals and feasts, the church would not simply suppress the feasts and celebrations outright, but they would, in fact, replace them with a Christian focus, such as on Christmas. At the time, December 25th was believed to be the day of the winter solstice. Now I believe it's understood to be the 21st. We we all know that. But at the time, it was the 25th, and so they celebrated the God of light, 
as the light grew longer during the day, starting on the day of the winter solstice, they celebrated the birth of light, a pagan celebration. Well, the church simply replaced it with the Christian celebration of the birth of the light of the world. And now, let me tell you, if there's anyone out there who, it, if it means anything to you, that this is really a pagan feast of the winter solstice, hey, knock yourself out. Obviously, I don't approve of it, but why do we get so hot and bothered whenever people remind us that our Christmas feast was once a pagan feast? Just look at them and say, well, it ain't anymore. It's a Christian feast. And I basically say what I say to make them feel stupid. You know, hey, enjoy opening your winter solstice presents. I'll enjoy opening my Christmas presents and receiving and giving my Christmas cards. And, of course, it makes them feel foolish, which is part of my goal. Let's face it. Why are they even bringing that up? Well, it's the same thing to a certain degree, to a certain degree with Halloween. But what a lot of people forget and overlook is the fact that Halloween corresponds to the major feast the very next day, which is the Feast of All Saints. And it's a feast of great holiness, a feast of great examples of of holiness, a feast of sanctity, a feast of grace, a feast of goodness, and a feast of triumph over evil, as seen in these saints whose holiness we celebrate and who we believe are enjoying eternal life in the presence of God and who we turn like we turn to anyone living for intercession and prayer. Just as much as I would ask anyone I know to pray for me, we ask the saints to pray for us. And we believe as they're in heaven, as they are examples of holiness, perhaps they have God's ear and they pray for us the same way we pray for one another. And we celebrate all saints on the 1st of November. So in such a festival, when you're dealing with formerly pagan cultures, what might be a conclusion from some of these pagan cultures, especially if they had feasts of their own that already were celebrated and observed when the church came in and accentuated the Feast of All Saints. Well, the night before, a day of great holiness would be a last hurrah of evil and corruption and the devil, making their last push forth the night before All Saints Day. Very much like you see in Modest Mussorgsky's musical piece, A Night on Bald Mountain, which Disney in the movie Fantasia animated in a very, very dynamic and and almost overwhelming sequence of the forces of evil partying the night before All Saints. But once that bell is heard, marking midnight, both in Fantasia, which segues from the Night on Bald Mountain into Schubert's Ave Maria, but also the original night on Bald Mountain, the last portion is one of very peaceful, tranquil music as evil is now suppressed, completely powerless. All you hear is the bell, and then the music descends into something very calm and very tame and very peaceful, emphasizing the peaceful yet powerful force of good. There really is no chance of the forces of evil prevailing against them, which is why on that night before All Saints Day, there would be a sense of evil prowling the grounds, knocking on doors, walking the streets, and people of a formerly pagan culture would hide in their houses. This is the night of evil before the night of goodness. 
So don't open the door. Stay in your room. Don't wander the streets at night. It's All Hallows' Eve, and it's a night when the evil spirits come forth to corrupt us the night before a day of great holiness. So how do we respond with that? We are Christians. Evil has no power except that power which we give it. The triumph of Christ and the triumph of goodness is absolute. Nothing can hope to prevail against it. So why are we afraid of the forces of evil? Why are we afraid, even superstitiously, of evil spirits? So, okay, perhaps people of a formerly pagan culture became obsessed with evil spirits the day before, the night before, All Saints Day. So how do we respond as Christians and people of faith in the triumph of Christ? Well, on that night, All Hallows' Eve, because we are not afraid of evil, because we are not afraid of the power of the devil, we are not going to yield any power to Satan because we have faith in the absolute triumph of Christ, what has been the traditional practice of Halloween as we know it and has how it evolved? We hear a knock on the door. Do we cower and say, no, don't open it. It's evil spirits. No, we open the door because we're not afraid. And what do we see? Sweet little children dressed as ghosts and goblins and witches and skeletons and these cute little evil spirits that are now laughable. We are not afraid of them. Oh, look at the cute little devil. Look at the cute little uh, witch. Look at the cute little ghost. And we have no fear and, in fact, are mocking that which once held great fear in the hearts of people of a formerly pagan superstition. And so what do the cute little children dressed as these cute little evil spirits say? They say, trick or treat, and we give them candy, but not until they dance and prance and do some playful thing like a silly little evil spirit does because we're not afraid of them and we laugh at it. And we say even further, oh, how cute, how sweet, how wonderful, how funny. Notice the contrast here. We're not hiding and cowering in our homes under the bed in the closet because the evil spirits are wandering at night. We have children and families wandering the night, not afraid of any evil spirits prowling about. They knock on the door, sometimes even of strangers, strangers in the neighborhood, dressed in a cute, almost silly way of these evil spirits that we used to be afraid of. We make a mockery of it, and we perform cute little tricks and get sweet little treats as a result of it. And it's an expression of Christian people of how we are not going to be cowered by ancient pagan superstitions of evil spirits that come out the night before a day we celebrate holiness. So that's not entirely the history of Halloween. There are probably multiple factors that contribute to the development of Halloween as we know it today. But what's the net result? What's the final result for a Christian society that observes this? It has developed over time from multiple uh, sources in multiple ways to accentuate the fact that we are not afraid of evil spirits. 
regardless of what the superstitions of pagans are, let the pagans hide in their homes. If the pagans of today and the anti-Christians of today want to constantly remind us that to celebrate Halloween is celebrating the devil, then we can tell them, okay, you hide at home, you close yourself in the closet, hide yourself under the bed, turn off the front light, lock the door. Because you're so afraid when our cute little children will come knock on the door and say trick or treat because you're afraid of Satanism, occultism, and the powers of evil on the night before All Saints Day. You focus on paganism if you want. The rest of us who are Christian will show that we are not superstitious. We are not adherents of evil or Satan or the occult. And we will wander the streets even when everyone else is afraid to do so because we show we are not afraid. And we'll dress up, you know, most people dress up as princesses or other different costumes, their favorite superheroes or their favorite TV characters. Some might dress up in the traditional ghosts and goblins and evil spirits while everyone goes, ooh, look at the scary little cute monster and celebrate Halloween in the spirit in which it developed as a Christian observance of the fact that we are not pagans. We are not afraid of pagan superstitions. We are not going to adhere to the sentiments of pagan superstitions that cower in fear over evil spirits. But we will have the courage and the contempt for evil that true Christians should have. Now, given that, compare, compare that sentiment with the sentiment that society showed over the last three years now going on When the evil spirit known as COVID-19 was prowling the world and killing people and we were hiding under our beds and hiding in the homes and closing the door and masking up and vaccinating ourselves so many times that some of them are practically walking pincushions. And to this day, people still in their cars by themselves or walking outdoors by themselves still wear masks and won't do anything until they've had the latest vaccine that they're practically walking syringes. We've replaced evil spirits with a virus, and we cowered in our home. We didn't go out for two whole weeks at least before those who are following the science told us, no, we got to be hiding for another two weeks, another month, another six months. How different are we from the pagans of the past who hid at night because of the evil spirits and did not open the door when it was knocked because the evil spirits would come in and possess us and haunt us and kill us and corrupt us. How different is that really? I'll tell you what the difference is. Back then we say it was following a superstition. Today we simply say that's following the science. But how many of a strong Christian faith did not care and deeply resented the government unconstitutionally closing our churches? and telling us to stay indoors, silencing anyone who gave a contrary opinion. They didn't care. They had confidence in God who would protect us. They were not afraid of the evil spirit in the form of a COVID virus. And they wanted to go to church. They wanted to go out. They wanted to have a life. And even to this day, we have people who say, ah, yes, COVID-19 changed the world forever. To which I nod and I say, yeah, and evil spirits changed the world forever too. To which they say, oh, well, superstition is superstition. That's not real. COVID was real. Okay, maybe so. But the fear of evil spirits and the fear of COVID is still fear. And that fear is real. And that fear is unchristian. 
So don't talk to us about how Halloween was giving into the occult and giving into Satan and celebrating evil and death. Because then I'll tell you that us hiding for two years over an invisible virus, we're at its worst, had a death rate of only 2.3% and a survival rate of 974 Maybe the math is the, isn't the ratio there, but the survival rate was 97.4%, and yet we still hid in our homes, hid under the beds, closed ourselves in the closet, masked ourselves until our entire heads was practically covered, wore body suits and face masks and so on and so forth, latex gloves. How different is that from the ancient pagan superstitions of hiding in the home because we're afraid of evil spirits. The fear is the same. And so, when we celebrate Halloween, do so without fear, without any misgivings. Halloween shows us and is a celebration of the fact that we are not cowered by ancient pagan superstitions of evil spirits wandering the streets. And let our celebration of Halloween this year be a manifestation of the fact that we are not afraid of evil spirits, be they ancient pagan superstitions or viruses, that we will have a life, that we will go out and celebrate, that we will show that we have faith in Christ, the absolute triumph of a healing Christ, the night before we celebrate the holiness of that multiplicity of witnesses and examples. And not only that, Let's work to emulate that example of holiness, beginning with the fact that we're not afraid. And Halloween is a Christian manifestation of our Christian lack of fear of evil. Evil has been defeated by Christ's triumph on the cross. We have no fear. We mock evil. And we do it in our observance of Halloween. But let this year's Halloween also be another manifestation. The pandemic is over. We are not afraid. We have that strength and confidence of those who have a faith in Jesus Christ. So, happy Halloween. A number of historical things occurred on that night as well. Let me look up a couple of them here. Many of you know, or perhaps should know, it was on October 31st in 1517, just uh, 505 years ago. Martin Luther posted his 95 Thesis on the door of the Wittenberg Palace Church. In 1846, on Halloween, the ill-fated Donner Party, led by George Donner, reached the pass that was to lead them through the Sierra Nevada, but they found it blocked by snow. It was on this day in 1864, Nevada became the 36th state of the United States. It was on this day in 1879, another Civil War general, fighting Joe Hooker, Joseph Hooker, died in Garden City, Long Island, New York. And in 1926, on October 31st, the magician and escape artist Harry Houdini passed away. So some interesting things happened on this day as well. But enjoy Halloween. Do it without shame. Do it without fear. Don't even give a thought to any alleged pagan roots of that evening because we do it as a manifestation that we are not afraid either of evil spirits or of a virus and we show we are not afraid as we prepare to celebrate the holiness 
example, and sanctity of the countless number of witnesses we celebrate as saints. So, thank you for listening, and with any luck, I will talk to you again soon. Thank you.